0: Welcome to Prism, a fortnightly podcast from Rashmi Kumar and Shidran, featuring our best legal minds coming together to offer their insight on key business law issues that are current. We at LKS take pride in combining our experience and knowledge to throw light on a wide variety of practice areas from M&A, corporate and commercial laws to antitrust law, privacy law and disputes. Before we dive in, please note that this podcast is for general information only and does not constitute legal advice and should not be used as a substitute for competent advice from a qualified counsel. Hi everyone, I'm Badri Narayanan, a partner at LKS. The idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct complex legal issues of the day so that their practical implications for businesses become clear. In our second episode, we deal with some interesting issues. We're going to be covering the investigation undertaken by the Competition Commission of India against WhatsApp. We're going to also look at the evaluation of e-commerce entities by the CCI and the interplay of competition law and consumer protection law, and look at the proposed amendments to the consumer protection e-commerce rules. We're also going to move and discuss issues related to information technology, which is the Intermediary Guidelines, 2011, and their impact on social media platforms and on privacy. And finally, we are going to round up with some recent developments in the insolvency as well as the international arbitration space. Joining me today is Nilambara Sandeepan, partner in our competition and antitrust practice to discuss various recent issues pertaining to competition and antitrust. Hi Nilambara, lot of interesting things happening in the competition space in India, but to start with. Could you tell us the significance and the concerns surrounding the investigation initiated by the Competition Commission of India against WhatsApp?
1: Thank you, Badri. Sure. So the investigation against WhatsApp is very unique in several aspects. Firstly, this is the first time that the CCI has started an investigation on its own against a company operating in the digital market, based on news reports and general public outcry. The CCI has decided to investigate the anti-competitive effect that the updated privacy policy and terms of service may have on WhatsApp users. The competition issue that arises from this update is whether mandatory sharing of user data by WhatsApp with its parent company, Facebook, amounts to exploitation by a dominant entity when the consumers don't have the option to opt out of such a data sharing arrangement. Based on the CCI's preliminary assessment, both WhatsApp and Facebook seem to be in a position of dominance in their respective markets. Now, primarily the issues seem to be stemming from data protection and privacy concerns. However, it seems like the CCI is taking cue from the German antitrust regulator, the Bundeskartellamt, in investigating breach of privacy as a competition issue. So this is definitely a first for the CCI. Now talking about the concern. So the concern here really is, that maybe the CCI has acted in haste in pursuing this investigation. I say this because the Personal Data Protection Bill is currently pending before the Parliament in India, and therefore the CCI may have set itself up for an imminent clash with the data protection regime, which will needlessly blur the jurisdiction of the two regulators. I think a wait-and-watch approach may have been more suited in this case.
0: Uh, Indeed, Nilambra, I think a wait-and-watch approach would have been more suited. But just on a different note, uh, it seems like the Indian competition regulator is heavily invested in evaluating the behavior of entities in the digital market. Can you share with us your insights into the investigations against some of the major e-commerce players in India by the Commission?
1: Certainly. I will start by setting the context here. Indian regulators are typically known to err on the side of caution and therefore they often tend to over-regulate. Globally, right now, there is a movement amongst the antitrust regulators to rein in digital platforms. There seems to be some consensus that these entities are on the verge of becoming too big to control. So before it is too little too late, the CCI has decided also to proactively pursue investigations in this sector. In fact, the news is that the CCI has deployed a large portion of its resources to fast-track investigations in digital markets. Now, currently, both Amazon and Walmart-owned Flipkart are under investigation for anti-competitive vertical restraints. Interestingly, Flipkart is also being investigated for abuse of dominance. The primary allegations in these investigations are around self-preferencing, offering deep discounts, private labels, and exclusivity arrangements. At this juncture, I would like to point out that both Amazon India and Flipkart are regulated under the foreign direct investment rules, which prohibit all foreign owned or controlled online retail platforms from holding inventory. This restriction by itself eliminates the possibility of some of the behaviors that the CCI is currently investigating. For instance, if an e-commerce entity is not allowed to be a seller on its own platform, What is the possibility of self-referencing? Similarly, the issue of differential treatment to private labels. If the e-commerce platform cannot hold inventory, where does this question of private labels even arise? Unless, of course, one is saying that this is done at the risk of jeopardizing the entire investment in India under the FDI rules. Therefore, what the CCI appears to be doing differently this time is that one, it is not looking at the different conducts in isolation but more from the perspective of an ecosystem which appears to have systemic problems and two, the pace at which the investigation is progressing is definitely not usual.
0: I understand Elambra. I also understand that the Ministry of Consumer Affairs has published proposed amendments to the Consumer Protection Rules, an overview of which was given in our earlier podcast. How do you think these proposed amendments interact with the competition law regime in India?
1: So my first impression of the proposed amendments is that they seem to go above and beyond the object and purpose of a typical consumer protection legislation. The end result seems to be laying down a complete code of regulation for e-commerce entities and there's certainly a lot of overlap between the proposed amendments and competition law. In fact some of the proposed amendments are directly related to the ongoing investigations by the cci in this sector that we just spoke about now i will highlight a few rules that really stand out here a regulation of flash sales which relates directly to deep discounts b complete prohibition on related parties or associated enterprises selling on the platform this would mean that instead of regulating preferential treatment between related parties, the possibility itself is eliminated. C, prohibition on the use of information collected by the e-commerce entity for sale of goods bearing its brand name or promoting or advertising as being associated with its brand name. This directly relates to the issues that we discussed about private limits. Further, some of these amendments govern B2B relationships, which are ideally and rightly covered under the competition. I feel that such ex ante regulation without analysing the potential efficiencies and consumer benefits will definitely be a case of prejudging issues. At present, the government has invited comments and suggestions on the proposed amendments. So I guess we will have to wait and see what final shape these rules take.
0: Thank you, Nilambara. This has been extremely insightful. I think the e-commerce market players and the digital intermediaries should certainly take note of these trends and also keep track of the Competition Commission's approach towards the regulation of such entities in India. But again, thank you so much. Now we have uh, Prashant Phillips, a partner in our IP and data protection practice to discuss information technology intermediary rules and their impact on social media platforms and on privacy. Uh, Hi, Prashant. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, who these intermediaries are that seem to be regulated now? Hello,
2: Badri. Uh, Sure, definitely. Internet technologies enable people to communicate and avail services such as making purchases, exploring and consuming digital content on their computer devices. These services may be provided by a platform which allows and supports different functions to be performed. In certain cases, either the entity owning the platform may provide such services, or the platform may permit another service provider who may then provide such digital services through the platform. Such platforms or entities are referred to as intermediaries. Simply speaking, intermediaries are entities who provide services enabling the delivery of content or any other data to the end user.
0: That's clear uh, Prashan. Um, So why are these intermediaries and the role of these intermediaries suddenly under so much of scrutiny?
2: With respect to intermediaries, the Government of India on February 25th this year notified the intermediary guidelines and the Digital Media Ethics code. These rules superseded the previous rules for regulating intermediaries. The proposed rules provided a fresh regulatory mechanism for intermediaries. In addition, the rules also provide a specific set of rules and obligations for certain specific intermediaries, namely the social media platforms, the digital news companies, and over-the-top platforms. These platforms are previously not considered as intermediaries in the traditional sense, but now would be subject to the IT Act and the new rules. The rules were deemed a necessary introduction by the government considering the immensely important role that social media platforms and other intermediaries play in our everyday lives. The rules propose implementation of technical measures which enable detection and removal of content of sensitive nature, such as content involving sexual violences or offences, an issue that has plagued the social media platforms for quite some time now. Considering the ever-pervasive role of online platforms, the present set of rules will have a significant impact on how other platforms operate in India.
0: Thanks, Prashant. Can you tell us why are these new rules causing discomfort to well-known online service providers? Sure, Patri.
2: The rules prescribe an increased compliance set for intermediaries, including social media intermediaries, OTT streaming, and digital news publishers. Under one of the most critical requirements, a significant social media intermediary providing messaging services, for example, WhatsApp, would be required to implement mechanisms which will enable identification of a first originator of the information. Such identification is to be done pursuant to a reasoned order passed under section 69 of the IP Act. The rules have clarified that such measures will be undertaken for the purposes of prevention, detection, investigation, prosecution or punishment of certain offences. It also clarifies that if less intrusive measures are possible, such measures are to be relied on first in order to identify such a first originator. No other information is supposed to be disclosed while such measures are being enforced. The constitutionality of these rules have been challenged before the constitutional courts in India. One of the grounds that has been relied on is that the identification of the first originator is likely to cause privacy issues since tracing the first originator may require message encryption to be broken. It is however pertinent to note that such measures will be exercised only pursuant to court orders for the purposes of prevention, detection, or investigation of certain offenses.
0: Uh, I know Prashant, you do a lot of work in the privacy area. Do you see any concerns from privacy involved here?
2: That is absolutely correct, Badri. There are privacy concerns involved. The concerns are also valid, since enabling traceability may expose messaging platforms to security issues. Accordingly, some adequate balancing through technical measures may be required to ensure that the security of messaging platform does not get compromised. Security is one of the seven bedrock principles on which informational privacy is based. privacy legislation may prove to be sufficient for addressing such concerns and eventualities the personal data protection bill has been pending before the parliament and includes provisions which provide individuals to exercise their right to privacy the bill is intended to provide a balance between the rights of the individuals and the data subjects while keeping in mind the interests of the service providers
0: Thanks Prashant for such an informative session on this very interesting topic. Next we have Sharanya Lakshmi Kumaran, uh, our dedication partner to discuss with us recent developments in the insolvency space and also some insights on international arbitration. Uh, Sharanya, can you tell us about any recent development of significance in the insolvency space?
3: Sure, I'd like to pick up on one recent trend we've seen in the adjudication of insolvency application by the company law tribunals and court. The Insolvency and Bankruptcy Code 2016 allows creditors to initiate insolvency proceedings against debtors on the basis of an existence of a debt above a certain threshold and a default of that debt. Now, the court does not provide any defense to debtors from the commencement of insolvency proceedings except in cases of operational debt. Now operational debts such as unpaid sums under a contract for sale uh, of goods or supply of services to the debtor or statutory dues owed by the debtor cannot be used to initiate insolvency proceedings if there is a dispute pertaining to such debts. However, where there is a financial borrowing or a financial debt this defense is not available to the debtors now recently the supreme court as well as the national company law appellate tribunal have both in different cases considered the aspect of actual liquidity or profitability of the debtor as being the relevant factor in adjudication of insolvency applications against the debtor the supreme court in the indus biotech versus kotak india venture case in fact has seemed to suggest that the company law tribunal was to record whether it was satisfied that the debtor was a profit-making company before passing any orders for commencement of insolvency proceedings. This is an interesting trend, showing that the development of new judge-made criteria will, at least in gray area cases, disfavor the commencement of insolvency proceedings against companies that are objectively profitable.
0: Interesting. Uh, So Sharanya, how has the IBC played out uh, in the last four or five years inception?
3: Well, the law has developed at a fast pace and it is constantly getting tested before courts and it keeps undergoing legislative changes. It has clearly focused on faster recovery of bad debts by banks while trying to ensure that the insolvent entity remains a viable business and that it is taken over by a new management and investors who are willing to resolve the company's debts. In practice, however, there has been a recent uproar on the amount of recoveries made uh, by banks and other lenders by citing situations where insolvent companies have been acquired for sums leading to haircuts for the banks anywhere between 60-90% to of their debts. Under the IBC, post a successful resolution, the company under the new management gets practically a clean slate wiping out all prior liabilities. This has been seen as an unfair outcome of the IBC by some industrialists and stakeholders. However, the larger point remains that the IBC law is not concerned with maximizing recovery for lenders. It is rather concerned with what parliament in its wisdom believes to be more relevant to the economy, that is the continued operation of businesses and industries encouraging the restoration of their viability and the employment generated by them.
0: Thank you. As a firm with special focus on international arbitration, uh, what are our views on the recent rulings of the Supreme Court in PASL uh, wind solution versus GE power?
3: Sure, Bhadri. The Supreme Court has, in this judgment, settled the controversy of whether two Indian parties can opt for a foreign seated arbitration by answering it in the affirmative. The court has held that there is nothing wrong in principle for two Indian parties to take their arbitration outside India. A more interesting point is the law applicable to the merits of the case, where in responding to a concern raised in some of the arguments, the court also held that there was no bar on two Indian parties from applying foreign law to the contract or to the merits of the dispute, if they had chosen a foreign seat. Under the Arbitration Act, in India, two Indian parties in an Indian seated arbitration can only apply Indian law to their contracts or to the merits of their dispute. The ruling in PASL clearly allows greater flexibility in terms of the applicable law and the arbitral jurisdiction. By allowing Indian parties to potentially arbitrate abroad and in that event also apply the laws of a foreign country. Now, here is where the catch is. This doesn't mean, however, that the Indian parties would be completely free to avoid Indian law. Because in the enforcement proceedings in India, the enforcing court will look at objections arising on account of the award violating Indian public policy. For example, In a decision in the year 2020, uh, resulting from an arbitration under English law, the Supreme Court had refused to enforce an international arbitration award on violation of Indian public policy, which essentially arose from provisions of the Indian Contract Act. In NAFED v. Alimenta SA, the Court had held that the principle of frustration and contingent contracts as provided for under the Indian Contract Act, were elevated to the status of Indian public policy. And the award, despite being under foreign law, was at odds with these principles of Indian law and public policy, and the court refused to enforce the award. So it will really be interesting to see how this aspect is taken care of in light of the new PASL judgment.
0: Thanks, Sharanya for throwing light on such relevant and pertinent issues from an IBC and international arbitration perspective. Finally, thank you Nilambara, Prashant and Sharanya for your valuable inputs on so many issues. Thank you listeners for tuning in to Prism. We will be back in two weeks with more insights on developments that take shape in the days to come. Until then, goodbye.